Hey, geeks and geekettes, Lysmith Retin X5 here. Do you know all the ways you can geek out with Geekin? You can search for Geekin Podcast and Blog on iTunes and the Stitcher app. You can always visit the blog for direct podcast download, post to our forum, and talk on the on-site chat room. And as always, you can find Geekin Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And now, on with the show. Hey, geeks and geekettes, this is Lysmith. And I'm Retin X5, and you're listening to the Geekin Podcast. Welcome to Geekin' on fan film Brown Coats, Independence War, and our favorite fan films, recorded live on August 31st, 2014. That's probably our longest title ever. I think so. <laughs> That's going to be really good, embedding that in the metadata. <laughs> That's going to be like 25,000 characters long. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, when you had those MP3 players, the old ones, not the fancy smartphones that we all, you know, that we all use now, but the old actual just MP3 players. And it would have that tiny little black and white readout screen, and the title would sort of drip across like one character at a time. <laughs> this title would just be going across for 12 minutes before it finally got all the way across. <laughs> That's probably true. All right. Anyways, yes, we are back. We're back. We got a new show here. Uh, it's actually a really special show, especially for you brown coats out there. Firefly fans, say that three times real fast. Uh, and also, after we get over the sort of, uh, get done with the sort of the brown coat special we've got for you, we're going to move on to some more fan films. But right now, I'm going to hand the stage and the microphone, uh, you know, theoretically, the microphone, uh, over to my pal, Ly Smith, who has huge, some huge, big, big brown coats news. I am so excited to, to talk about this. and I've had so much fun putting it together. Uh, we were able to sit down and do a Q&A with Francis Hamada, the creator of Brown Coats Independence War. Mm-hmm. It's a Firefly fan film. And we've done a huge Q&A. It's already on the blog. We will. I'll add the link to the show notes in there. Definitely. Uh, and it's a lot of fun because I was able to go online and find questions from other fans to ask him about, and I also got the privilege of sitting down and watching the pre-post unfinished uh, movie, which was just a lot of fun. I mean, on so many different levels, because it's a fan film, which uh-huh. is cool, and and it's been seen by very, very few people. Uh, in fact, most of the cast and crew haven't even got to see it yet. <laughs> but you have. I've seen it, yeah. And uh, then, like we've talked about before, the process junkie in me uh, had a lot of fun uh, talking to Mr. Hamada about the, what, how this came about, what went into it. Uh, it's just been a lot of fun. And he's been a great guy. Just really cool putting this together with him in the back and forth. And uh, just a really awesome down-to-earth guy. And uh, it's funny, the last round of questions we talked about, he gets so excited about the project that he'd just be talking. And he'd just be talking to me and totally forget that he was doing a Q&A and have to send me another email and go, I just talked about a bunch of spoilers. We can't do that. <laughs> you, you've got to change that. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. And so I'm really excited about this project and I, I hope it generates a lot of buzz for him. Mm. Independence War is set in uh, Serenity Valley, which uh, obviously for Serenity fans out there, they know where that is, but uh, it's kind of like uh, the last battle 
that Malcolm Reynolds was in, the, the lead character for Firefly and Shredder. Mm-hmm. And this actually takes place uh, in the same place, but uh, a little a little further away from Mal. You don't actually get to see any of the original characters, but it, take, it takes these group of soldiers on their last night in Serenity Valley and what happens to them and their little lives there. It, it was a lot of fun. Very, very, uh, it captured the feeling of Firefly and Serenity really, really well mm-hmm. uh, in all kinds of little ways. It, it had some wonderful nods and inside jokes that you'd really only get if you watch the TV show and the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, you'd probably have to watch these things several times before you caught some of these references. It's a movie made by dedicated fans for dedicated fans. Absolutely. And he talks about in the Q&A how uh, everybody who was involved in this uh, movie are Firefly fans. And that's how he got it together was was by talking to his friends who were Firefly fans. And so they all got together and were able to make this movie. I think people are really, really going to enjoy it. Hmm. It's the second full-length feature film, uh, fan film about Firefly uh, to finish. There's been others that have started that have piddled out due to financial uh, issues and mostly financial issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this one, this is the second one to actually get to finish. So, some of the actors that, that really stood out to me uh, in the movie: uh, Beth Bemis, Derek W. Adam, and Richard Martinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, played some really wonderful characters, and, and I think it's hard to take something that's already established and bring new life and and vibrant characters to the story when it's already something that you already know about. And they really did that very, very well. And they did lots of little things like uh, music and lighting that really, really felt like Serenity itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actors in this, I mean, this isn't like amateur quality acting. This is, this is really, this is good, solid acting. Oh yeah, yeah. The people who who've done it are, are actors themselves. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I've viewed a lot of fan films, a lot of the Star Trek fan films, and you sit there and you think, well, you know, their hearts in the right place, but maybe the performances can be a little tough to watch sometimes because they're just like you and I. They're fans. They're not professional actors. But when you come across fan films where you see the performances or, or when you come across fan films where the performances are up to par with the shows or the movies that they themselves are trying to emulate, that's a really special thing Special thing to see in a special project. Absolutely. And they really nailed it. And uh, they flavored it with uh, Chinese, just like in the TV show, but mm-hmm. they didn't overdo it. I mean, it was just really the right amount of everything you wanted to see. Uh, the stuff that they did outright mention uh, from the, the TV shows and the movie, they didn't overdo. And I thought the whole thing was just really, really well done. One of the questions uh, Mr. Hamada asked on the Q&A, I wanted to read a little bit of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we asked him why a Firefly fan film versus another franchise. And he said, simple, the fans who make Star Wars fan films, who make Star Trek film films, any of the Marvel franchises, any of the DC franchises, Metal Gear, Halo, Mass Effect, Bioshock, Dead Space, etc., still have original material to look forward to in the future. None of their franchises are technically dead. Star Wars fans can look forward to a new movie soon, same with Star Trek. What about us, the Firefly fans? Not a zip, nothing. We've been alternately thrilled and then crushed with various rumors and news screaming reboot or reemergence of the Firefly universe. 
All of these resulted in crushing disappointment, and the actual scenario is becoming more and more unlikely as the years go on and the original crash gets older. Firefly fans are the unloved romantics in the pop culture universe. The stars don't seem like they will ever align to feed us anything new in the verse as far as television or motion picture tales go. So only the fans will have to step up and create new material for the other fans. That's a great answer. I mean, that's just really a very, very good, honest answer. It reminds me a lot, again, being a Star Trek fan, of Star Trek in, say, the 70s. You know, the original show was off the air. You had the cartoon that was around for a couple of years. But it was before the movies came along. And the franchise at that time really belonged to the fans. You know, they had the conventions going on. Uh, there was a lot of fan fiction being written. There were fanzines all over the place being published all over the place. It was a kind of a magical time for the franchise and fans of the franchise because it was theirs. They were the only ones really doing anything with it. And sometimes, you know, the projects, whether there was at that time, there were maybe written projects, fan fiction stories, things like that, may not have been that great, but there was enthusiasm there. There was a sense that they were picking up the mantle and continuing forward with it. And I can see that's sort of where the Firefly fans are. They love this franchise. It's theirs. But for whatever reason, primarily because Joss Whedon is busy elsewhere and, you know, uh, other actors are busy elsewhere, it's probably not going to move on. So in a lot of ways, it now belongs to the fans. It belongs to you. You're the ones who can now push the Firefly universe forward. I mean, I believe there's some Firefly comic books out there, like a Serenity comic book. Uh, but beyond that, it's going to be up to the fans to move the franchise forward. And that's always exciting because it's not some guy in a suit somewhere. It's not some guy, you know, who's taking on a, a project in Hollywood just to get, you know, make some money or move on to the next project. It's people who are actually passionate about the material who are actually running it right now. Um, that may not – certainly doesn't make it you make it feel any better for all the people who are like, oh, Fox screwed us over canceling the show and things like that. But at the same time, wouldn't you rather have the franchise and the story be in the hands of people who actually care about it? And that's sort of what's happening here, I think. Absolutely. And, and to use a phrase that you used before, uh, we're getting love letters to – the franchise, mm -hmm. and and we're even getting to the point where other companies that have are actually truly in love with this uh, TV show and movie are getting involved with stuff. Actually, we've got a new uh, Firefly MMO about to come out. Oh, nice! Yeah, and the cool thing about that is they're actually getting the entire cast from Firefly to come and reprise their roles as voice actors. That's amazing. That's great. Which I, which is something I've talked about one for a long time. I said, I said video game, but I was thinking console. But MMO works too. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter how busy they are, what they're doing, other places, other things, or if they don't look like those characters anymore, if they come in to do the voice work. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a great uh, way to continue forward. There's been, you know, again, not to keep bringing it back to Star Trek, but there's been a lot of people who want, say, the next generation to come back or Deep Space Nine to come back. Obviously, those. Actors cannot play those roles, but a lot of people say, well, do animation instead. If you do animation, you can just bring back the actors for their voices. And so in a lot of ways, this MMO is sort of the same philosophy. The actors are all too busy and they're all getting older. Um, but by doing this MMO, bringing the original actors in to voice it, it's opening up the world and allowing you to take part in it. And yet it still retains 
the people who created it. That's cool. Absolutely. And getting involved with this uh, uh, fan film uh, brought me back to other fan films that I hadn't seen in a long time. And fan films are something that I've really, really enjoyed ever since I was a kid. And for some reason, I just kind of tapered off from them and haven't been paying attention to them the last few years. And so uh, for this to pop up, I, I went back through and watched, oh, just a metric shit ton <laughs> of fan films t- tonight uh, getting prepared for this. And uh, I'll, I'll probably sit down and watch some more with the kids tomorrow. Uh, it's one of one of many great things that's come about from the Internet is sharing these fan films. Um, before, I mean, there have been fan films for a long, long, long time. But before they had, you had to go to a convention to see them. You know, they were actually on 8mm film that had to play through a projector. Uh, but with the internet now, you can make them available. They're literally just a download away or a YouTube video away. Speaking of which, before we sort of move on, um, do you know uh, how our listeners are going to be able to access Browncoat's Independence War? Is there a website they can go to or a Kickstarter they can go to? Is there something we can direct them to to uh, that will be the outlet for the movie once it's completed? Not as of yet. And Mr. Amana speaks about that in the Q&A. Um, because it's a fan film, there's really no way to distribute it mm-hmm. without running some really huge uh, legal issues. So he does hope to show it at um, a convention or two. Okay. But as of right this second, there's really no no definite plans to distribute uh, widely. And, you know, that's maybe something that might change after the everything's finished and other people get to see it and stuff. You know, uh, but... As of right now, I don't think there's any plans for it. Well, hopefully it'll get out there. I mean, it's a a quality project, very passionate people involved in it, and a very good project, actually, very good film. Uh, And it would be great for uh, the filmmakers to find a way to make it available. Uh, You know, even if it's just YouTube or following sort of the Star Trek New Voyages, uh, though actually I think they call themselves Star Trek Phase 2 now, uh, they actually have a website where they host uh, their videos, and I think they're also available on YouTube as well. They sort of mirror them over there. You know, hopefully uh, this project, which deserves to be seen, will be seen by the masses. And the Internet is a tremendous way to do that. Um, there's so many fan films out there. Um, I believe you actually uh, sent a link to me earlier today of a good uh, sort of a, a, a link site, if you will, of fan films. Uh, what was that website again? It was, I believe, fanfilms.com. Let me double check that real Okay. I should have wrote that. Uh, fanfilms.net. Fanfilms.net. Yeah, it's just a good site where you can go and see, find links to all sorts of fan films. Yeah, I, I, I will give a fair warning that it needs updated. There are some fan films that aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And some of them will get pretty old. I mean, there's stuff from this year, but then there's stuff from like 2006 and 2004. And so some of those things aren't there anymore. Some of those things have run into legal issues and aren't allowed to be there anymore. Yeah, but uh, and some of them. It, the, uh, another fun part of that website is that some of them uh, have registered with the website and are putting up their information about their fan films that they're doing. So oh, it's not just fan films already done. Oh, good. So you can go and sort of help, maybe even be a part of the the new fan films. You know, and speaking of which, I mean that's another thing that I think is very interesting is through Kickstarter. Uh, one of our favorite uh, go-to websites is now also becoming a big. Uh, thing for fan films. And again, that's 
tricky because the whole aspect of fan films is you cannot make any money off of these projects. Um, again, not to bring it up, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan. There have been a lot of fan films and, and series of fan films from Star Trek. And my understanding is that CBS slash Paramount allows those films to be made as long as there is no profit made. Literally every dollar is spent on the production and then they're made available free of charge. Um, so Kickstarter, I think it's a little iffy. You have to make sure that every dollar is accounted for, that there's no profit being made. Um, but there are a lot of fan film projects out there on Kickstarter. And one that sort of got a lot of news the last week or so was the uh, Star Trek Axanar uh, fan film. There was a, um, I guess they called it the prelude to Axanar, sort of a little 20 minute proof of concept uh, film. Have you seen that? I have not sat down to watch that yet. Oh, it's very good. Um, I'm, I've watched Star Trek fan films on and off for about the last five or six years. And before that, I listened to, I listened to Star Trek fan podcasts, sort of, um, uh, audio dramas, you know, that you would listen to in your MP3 players, like old radio shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the fan, you know, it's, it's like the developmental stage was fan fiction, fan audio drama, and then flat out fan films now. A lot of the fan films in Star Trek you watch and their heart is in the right place. But a lot of times you can tell they're being made very cheap because they're usually self-financed by the people who are making them. Uh, again, the acting sometimes isn't really that great. And the writing, you know, a lot of times isn't that spectacular. But you see a lot of passion and a lot of love in the project. Axanar is something completely different. This is – they have real actors. Let me put it this way. Um, they've got a couple actors from Star Trek, Gary Graham who played uh, the Vulcan ambassador on Star Trek Enterprise. He's in it playing the same character. Um, J.G. Hertzler uh, is in it. He's been all over Star Trek, playing a lot of Klingons. They have a a, a couple of Battlestar Galactica actors. Uh, Richard Hatch is in it. Um, And then also um, Kate Vernon, who played Ellen Tai on the Galactica reboot, is also in it. Um, So they've basically hired professional actors for this. Um, the way that it's put together is very interesting. It's put together like one of those history channel documentaries where you get a lot of talking heads and then quote unquote reconstructions of events. Um, and it's very good special effects. I, I would say that the special effects, the visual effects uh, on the prelude to Axanar are just as good as anything that you saw on even the most recent Star Trek show, Star Trek Enterprise. I mean, the quality of the visual effects is, I'm not going to say it's up there with like Transformers or anything like that, but it is just as good as anything you've ever seen on a Star Trek television show. Um, and it was very well done, very well written, um, very well acted because these are professional actors. And it's definitely made me very interested in seeing the final film, which I believe they're in the process of shooting now. Um, they're going through Kickstarter to raise the budget. Uh, they're doing it through a series of levels because the way Kickstarter works is if you don't actually reach your your actual level, you can't accept any of the money. So right. instead of raising <clears throat> like the three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand dollars that they wanted to raise or that they felt they needed to raise for it, they were doing a um, like the, they're doing a series of Kickstarters. The first one was for like fifty thousand dollars. 
And once they reach that, they're going to do a second Kickstarter for like $100,000. And of course, all that's completely moot now because they ended up raising over $650,000. Wow. Which is an extremely high. I don't think it's the highest amount ever raised by Kickstarter, but it's a very high amount. So I believe they have the budget for the entire film now. But yeah, I recommend you go see it. I, I recommend anyone who's a fan of Star Trek to go see it. And really anyone who's a fan of science fiction to go see it. I mean, they've peppered this with a lot of well-known science fiction actors. It's very well-written, well-directed. It's It looks just as good as anything I've seen uh, on television. Um, and we'll put a link in the uh, the show notes. But you can find it pretty easily by Googling Star Trek Axanar, A-X-A-N-A-R, I believe is the spelling. While we're talking about uh, uh, Kickstarters and, and funding these, uh, I, I want to bring up a uh, fan series that is actually one of my favorites. I may have talked about it on a previous podcast, actually. I, I'm sure I've talked about it in a previous blog post. Uh, but it is currently dead in the water. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> because of uh, legal issues. And they actually took down their Indiegogo, which is kind of like Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Spoiled. And it's a series about uh, the Stephanie Brown Batgirl. Oh, okay. And it's a lot of fun. It's uh, got some great costumes in it, uh, really fun actors. Uh, and and the way it ends, you just, you just really, really want that second season uh, because they, they've set up so much. But they started their Indiegogo and actually got a cease and desist from Warner Brothers. Oh, come on. Yeah. No reason to hate Warner Brothers. If Man of Steel wasn't enough, now they can do this. So, unfortunately, that's uh, their last update was like December of last year. Uh, I mean, uh, they need to realize, sort of like what Paramount and CBS did with Star Trek, which is these are fan films. If anything, they're just going to make people get more interested in your project and go buy your comic books, go buy your DVDs, go watch your shows. It's actually free publicity for you. I don't understand the problem here. As long as there's not a profit being made, as long as people aren't um, making money off of your copyrighted material, then let everybody play in the sandbox. It all ends up pointing eyes and attention and, you know, internet visits uh, and sales back to the company that owns the project or owns the, the copyright. I completely agree. And, and the guys over at Spoiled uh, handled it really well. And in their last update, they said that they're not mad at Warner Brothers, that that is totally within their legal right to do. They were just borrowing the story, and now they have to give it back. But oh, don't, uh, worry. I'll, don't worry. I'll be mad at Warner Brothers enough for them. That's right. Yeah, they, they were classy, so... We're not. Exactly. We're not classy. If, you know, anyone's heard me talk about Zack Snyder. We're not classy. But uh, if you have just a few minutes, uh, you've got to go over there and look at that because that is just a it's a great little fan series. And you can tell they've got some uh, – or at least they used to have some behind-the-scenes stuff. And there's just so much love that goes into that project. It's just mm-hmm. so really, really cool. So. Yeah, that reminds me of – Another one of these audio dramas, there is a company out there called Pendant Productions. They do audio dramas that you listen to on your MP3 players. I used to listen to quite a few of them because I had a job where I worked overnight doing um, basically maintenance work. Uh, This was years ago. Thank God I don't have that job anymore. 
<laughs> but uh, I would listen to an MP- MP3 player all night long. It's actually how I got first hooked, how I was first hooked on podcasts, believe it or not, was I discovered the Around Comics podcast, which in my opinion is the godfather of geek culture podcasts. But I would also mix it up because I was working eight hours a night with these audio dramas and pendant productions. And I believe they're still around. I think you can find them online. Did a whole series of, you know, several series of podcasts. Or, um, I'm sorry, audio dramas. Um, but they would do fan productions based on DC comics. They had like a Superman audio show and a Batman audio show. They also did things like a James Bond audio show, and I, and I think also a Doctor Who audio show as well. Um, and I listened to them for about a year, year and a half, but then I changed jobs, I moved, and I sort of, you know, it just drifted away from me. About two or three years ago, I was just surfing the internet, and I thought, hey, whatever happened to Pendant Productions? I wonder if they're still around. I Googled them, and I found that, in fact, they are still around. Uh you know, let me put an asterisk next to that. That was about a year ago. I don't know if they're still around today. <laughs> but up to a year ago, the website was still around, and they still have five or six um, original audio dramas that they put out an episode every month on. But I noticed all of their DC comic shows were gone, completely off the archive. They weren't even archived anymore. And I bet it was the exact same situation where they got a cease and desist. You gotta wonder what what goes on. I mean, I understand that uh, that's theirs and that they uh, have the right to do that. I think they should have the right to be able to do that. Well, of course, yeah. If it's not hurting anything, I just don't see the reason why you'd go and purposely piss off fans. You know. <laughs> I think deep down, what it was was they sat there and they looked at they looked at these fan films. They listened to these fan audio dramas and they were like, oh shit, man, this is better than what Zack Snyder's doing. We gotta cut this out. <laughs> we gotta get rid of these guys. I do have to ask if Around Comics is the godfather of geek culture podcasts, does that make us the Justin Bieber of geek culture podcasts? Okay, now you make me want to shoot myself. <laughs> uh, let's see, I, I wouldn't go Justin Bieber. I, I would say we're very amateurish and. Uh, maybe we're like the Three Stooges. Oh, okay. Say we're the Three Stooges of geek culture podcasts. Anything but Justin Bieber. If we were the if we are if we're the Justin Bieber of podcasts, I will kill this podcast right now. <laughs> this will be the last episode of Geekin if we're the Justin Bieber of podcasts. <laughs> um, like you, as the past several days as we've been doing prep work for this particular show and we knew we were going to do a fan fan film oriented show because of the um the um brown coats independence war interview we had we wanted to help publicize that they were very good good to us to allow us a lot of access and some information but we felt that because of the situation where it was going to be a text interview rather than an audio interview um we wanted to sort of bring in some other uh fan fiction films to sort of uh make the podcast last longer than 15 minutes, quite frankly. <laughs> so I began looking at some podcast, some fan films online, uh, like you have in this past week. And basically, we're just going to go back and forth and talk about some of our, our favorite fan films. Um, one of the first ones that I watched a few days ago was one that I've heard about, but I had never actually watched. It's available on YouTube. We will, of course, put the links uh, in the show notes. Um, for those of you who don't read the show notes, shame on you. Uh, but you can just Google any of this stuff. 
and you'll be able to find it. But um, anyways, the uh, first fan film I watched, one that I'd heard about, was The Punisher Dirty Laundry. Have you seen this? No, but it sounds just great already. <laughs> oh, it's it's good. It's actually Thomas Jane, uh, who played the Punisher in, um, I, was it two films? I think it was just the one. Was it just the one? Uh, I couldn't remember if there I, – I want to say there was a second film for some reason. There was a second Punisher film. I think it was straight to DVD. And it actually uh, stars uh, – fuck, his name fell out of my head. The gentleman who plays Volstagg from Thor. You're kidding me. No. Wow, I did not know that. Well, anyways, Thomas Jane, Thomas Jane played the Punisher in the first film, and it really wasn't that great. Um, the Punisher is a difficult character to do. And so essentially Thomas Jane said that he wanted to do a bit of a love letter to the character. This is a phrase that we've used before, love letter, and we'll probably keep using it. Uh, and so he self-financed this about, I want to say, 10 to 15 minute uh, short where he reprises the role. And it is surprisingly good. Um, Thomas Jane's very good in the role. I mean, he was never really the problem with that first film. Um, right. You and I have spoken many times about how great it is when an actor is passionate about a character or about a story. When fans get the – and that's – heck, here we are talking about it, fan films. When fans are involved, uh, the product usually ends up being a little better. The, you know, the, the film, movie, show, television, whatever usually ends up being a little better when you when the people involved are themselves fans. Thomas Jane was a fan of The Punisher. He wasn't happy with how the film turned out, so he wanted to do something where he had some control over it. It's a good little film, great acting, um, very much a hard R-rated uh, YouTube video. It's available on YouTube, and it's very hard R, so you'll probably have to sign into YouTube because I'm sure there's a, uh, you know, you have to be over 18 to watch this. It's a slow burn. In fact, it's a little bit too slow of a burn, I think. Uh, before the snap and the violence finally occurs, there's about two or three points where I'm sitting there going, no, nah, he would have broke a little earlier than this. He would have <laughs> broke a little. They're just dragging this out just for the sake of dragging it out and just creating even more of a slow burn. But ironically enough, looking back, I preferred that section to the actual violent portion because really? I think – they went too far with the violence. It was almost as if they were sitting there going, well, you know, we can just do the stuff that we want because we don't have to worry about a rating system. We don't have to worry about this being a 40 or $50 million film that has to make its money back by having 14 year old boys go and see it on opening weekend. Um, and it just ended up being almost cartoonish in a way. The, you're sitting there and you're going, this is just too much violence. Uh, it also didn't help that the CGI blood did not look real. Oh. So you've got all this stuff that's very real. I mean, it's shot kind of Chris Nolan-esque in the sense that it's all very real, very gritty. And then you got this plasticky-looking blood that starts flying around. Or rubbery-looking blood, I should say, that starts flying around. But with the exception of that, it's a very, very good film. And I recommend that you watch it. The Punisher, Dirty Laundry. I'll have to go watch that. Sounds great. Uh, I found one tonight. My list was a little different when I first started this, and I was going to do my favorites from from forever. Mm -hmm. But I ended up finding one that is just an immediate favorite halfway through it. It's only like, I want to say seven minutes long. Mm -hmm. But it just really blew me away. It was just 
really, really cool. It's called Hellblazer John Constantine. Ah, sort of a nice little warm-up for the Constantine TV show that's coming up this fall. Yeah, and it's it's very clearly taken, uh, like, directly from the comic books, taken from the story, and actually seems to be uh, taken from one of the stories they're using for Constantine. Oh, nice. At the TV show. It'll be a good comparison to to see the the two different productions of it. Yeah. Uh, And like I said, it's only about seven minutes long, but... And, and there's a, a little bit of a build-up to it, but once – I mean, the whole thing, I wanted to watch it again as soon as it was over. It was just that good. You've got to watch it. So, All right. I will definitely check that out. That's called Hellblazer colon John Constantine. The irony of Hellblazer followed by colon, by the way, but <laughs> – um, The second fan film I watched was one I've heard a great deal about. I've heard – you've mentioned it to me. Uh-huh. Uh, I heard about it on some of Kevin Smith's podcasts. Um, it's Batman Dead End. And I sort of have mixed feelings about this. And I'm trying to figure out how much you want to discuss because there's sort of a big twist and spoiler involved in uh-huh. this. Let me just say I really liked it. In fact, there's a, there's a shot in this that I think is cooler than I've se- ever seen on any Batman film, and that's the shot. I guess I've heard it mentioned before. I heard Kevin Smith mention it, but when I finally saw it uh, the other day, I have to admit, holy crap, that's a really cool looking shot. It's the shot where he's kneeling down and his cape is all spread out and he stands up. Right, and it all collects around him like that. That's an amazing image, and that's the yeah. that's cooler than anything I've seen in any of the Batman movies that Warner Brothers has released. It's just a great shot. I mean, it's like straight out of the comic books. It's like something that would be in the comic books. Um, it looks great. Obviously, a lot of attention and detail uh, went into it. But I didn't care for the twist, to be honest with you. My problems with this uh, stem from you have to take into, the fact, into, uh, into account that this is – Probably close to two decades old. Let me look it up because this is an older. I'm totally wrong. This is 2003. You're kidding. I thought this was a lot older than that. So did I because I was about to offer a bit of a defense, (laughs) but now it's 2003. I might take that defense away. Yeah, I could have sworn it was before then that I'd seen this. Because my defense. Because my defense is if it was made in the 90s, the twists. And I'll just basically say, you know, it involves Batman interacting with characters you don't expect him to interact with. Would be really exciting in the 90s because you would never expect to see all of those characters on the screen at the same time. But now we live in a world in the last 10, you know, 5, 10 years where you've had movies mixing, you know, mixing franchises. I mean, you've had, you've got the Expendables movies where you see all of these, you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all of them on film at the same time. You have the Alien versus Predator movies that have been made. So my, my one defense of the twist would be that at the time that it was made, that would have been really freaking cool because you'd never expect to see those characters all on the screen at the same time. Yeah, I, I wanted to say it was the 90s because there was a uh, comic book that I think Superman was included, but all of these characters were in a little, like, uh, almost like an Elseworlds back in the 90s. So that's why I thought that's where this came from, I guess. Yeah, I, 
2003. Okay, yeah, I, then I'm not a big, there's not, yeah, two, I'm reading July 19th, 2003. Wow, I thought it was way before that. Well, okay, um, I, well, like I said, it was, the various costumes looked great. Looked really what did you think of the Joker? The Joker took a little getting used to because we're living in, a, in the post Heath Ledger Joker and then also the Jack Nicholson Joker. This Joker reminded me a lot of like the Cesar Romero Joker, the Joker from the original from the, the you know Batman 66 and also Joker from the comic book. So yeah. I think if the Joker had been around a little longer, shall we say? It would have grown on me more because I was just starting to get into sort of that vibe of, oh, okay, I, oh, I like this. Okay, I like this Joker. It's different. It's sort of a throwback. It's like a retro Joker. But then after that, the Joker is not the, the point of the story. Right, yeah. Uh, the Joker is one of those characters that every time somebody else does him, uh, you automatically judge them on previous Jokers. Of course, yeah. And I have favorite Jokers. I mean, there's like three of them that just have really blown me away. And then the others I'm just not really totally sold on. So, yeah, I, I totally – Okay, segue. Three favorite Jokers. You give me your three favorite, I'll do my three favorite. Okay, three favorite Jokers, right? Ready? It doesn't have to be in one, two, three. I mean, if you can't, just th- in any order of those three. Okay, uh, Mark Hamill. Of course. Uh, Heath Ledger. Of course. And John DiMaggio. I remember you mentioning him to me before. Is he in one of the DC animated movies? He is. He's in Under the Red Hood. And, Under the Red Hood. Yeah, and he's just really, really nailed that for me. I mean, just to the point that I took Mark Hamill, Heath Ledger, John DiMaggio, and uh, Jack Nicholson and made a ringtone out of Joker laughs. Nice. You're gonna. You realize you're gonna have to like put that at the end of this episode. I'll have to. Yeah. <laughs> have that be our exit music. <laughs> Uh, I have two of the th- two of those three are mine on, on my list as well. Mark Hamill, of course, just great. Heath Ledger, great. My third though is actually Ralph Garman on the Hollywood Babylon podcast. Uh, when every they they've done Hollywood Babylon Comic Con Theater, I believe is what they call it, where they read some of Kevin Smith's Batman comics, and Garman's version of the Joker is using. Um, because he does a lot of celebrity impressions. He does uh, Ed Wynn, who uh, is a comedic actor back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, he was the voice of, um, oh gosh, uh, trying to remember some of the characters. He was he was in the original Alice in Wonderland animated film as, the, as, as I believe, the, the character that, the Mad Hatter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's him using that childhood voice as the Joker, that voice that just sounds like so many childhood cartoons that we've listened to because a lot of voice actors have sort of ripped off the Ed Wynn voice for animated films over the years uh, and, and, and cartoons over the years, that that voice is just sort of tied in with children's cartoons. To have that voice as the Joker may be the creepiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so, I, yeah, those are my, those are my three. Well, that's awesome. I'll have to go check that out. Uh, the other one that just really blew me away, I found just just uh, right before we started, actually. Um, I play a video game, actually, me and my kids play a video game called Borderlands. 
on the PlayStation 3, mm-hmm. and it's a great, great video game. Okay, no, it's a terrible video game. It's, it's, <laughs> it's way, way over the top in absolutely everything, but we love it. It's a lot of fun, and the humor is handled so appropriately, and uh, or unappropriately, <laughs> as the case may be. And uh, it, it's just unlike any other video game I've ever played, and they they handle things in such a crazy manner, and then they put tons and tons of pop culture references all throughout this video game. And so the kids and I are totally addicted to it. And uh, it is a first-person shooter, and it gets incredibly violent, and I probably shouldn't let my kids play it, but <laughs> we love it so much, we all play together, that I just can't tell them no. So, But this fan film is based on those video games. It's called Borderlands Firefight. And uh, the cosplay is is actually really decent cosplay. I mean, not like really high quality, but it's it's decent. You can tell who the characters are, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of actual dialogue, they use clips from the video game. Really? Yeah. And so it's just a firefight. It's just a gunfight, and it's it's just a few minutes long, but it's it's handled very well. It's uh, put together just great, and they use clips from the video game. Uh, for the voices of the characters. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I had let the kids watch it with me, and they loved it. And so I had it had to go on this list because it was just handled so well. I just really enjoyed it. Nice. That does sound good. Uh, my third barely qualifies as a fan film, in my opinion. <laughs> but I just enjoyed it so much. I think of all of the films on this list, of ones that I've watched this week, I think I may have enjoyed this one the most. <laughs> Really? Really. It's RVD2, Ryan versus Dorkman 2, and it's basically two kids, well, probably late teens, maybe early 20s, fighting each other with lightsabers. And the, uh, the it's a sequel. They they originally did, an, when they were teenagers, uh, did a film, Ryan versus Dorkman. I guess that's his sort of stage name. They're, they're apparently performers at various Star Wars conventions. Um, and they did a film called... Ryan versus Dorkman. Uh, it's just them fighting with lightsabers. They're both very talented in the sense that they both are very good swordsmen. Uh, the effects work is pretty good on it. Um, but I absolutely could not stand the ending of the first video. But I saw that they did a sequel, and I clicked that, and I have to say, I really enjoyed it. This is, I think, better than any sword fights that any of the the lightsaber fights that we've seen in any of the Star Wars films. And also, I'm just a fan of sword fights in movies. That's very true, yeah. And it's just just very good choreography, great sword fighting, very good effects work, actually. I mean, this fight, they're they're carving through stairs and walls and things like that, and the effects work is great. I just really enjoyed it. It's It's a little long. I think it's like ten and a half minutes long, which is a little long for a sword fight. But... It's just a great deal of fun, to be honest with you. I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Well, it's great. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that, check that out. Yeah, it's you can check out the first film because you'll see they're a lot younger, and it's not as in depth, if you will. Um, probably less time involved, less time doing the choreography, and less time with the effects work. Um, but the ending just ruined it to me. It's like they couldn't figure out, you know, who should win the fight. Um, it didn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, it, it literally was like the worst possible M. Night Shyamalan ending you can imagine. 
the second film doesn't have that problem. They spend a lot more time on choreography, a lot more time on effects, and also a lot more time on how to end the fight. Uh, and also the music is very good. So they actually don't use Star Wars music. They have a composer who does the music. And basically it's 10 minutes solid of just music because there's no dialogue in the films. It's just a sword fight. Uh, and the music is very good in the sense that it's not music lifted directly from Star Wars, but it's music that sounds very similar to Star Wars. The composer, and they list them at the end in the ending credits, did a great job of creating original melodies that sort of sound like they should have been in Star Wars, which is probably a, one of the best compliments I can give to a composer because Star Wars is some of the most iconic music ever written for film. And this guy, this person, uh, wrote some really good Star Wars style music. Very cool. That sounds awesome. I also wanted to talk about sort of what I think in a lot of ways is the Godfather. If if wrong comics is the Godfather geek culture podcast, (laughs) this is probably, I think the Godfather of fan films in the sense of it's the first one that I ever saw. And it has to be one of the earliest. I mean, there've been fan films made since the sixties, but I think this was the first fan film that really took off in the age of the internet. Um, because it came about in the late 90s when the internet was first starting to take off. It probably took 25 minutes to download. (laughs) Or probably 45 minutes to download over a uh, phone line. But it's Troops. And I assume you've seen Troops. I have seen Troops. Troops came out in 1997. Troops was hilarious. I saw it at a friend's house. He actually had a VHS copy of it. Oh, wow. It's hilarious. And I rewatched it actually earlier this evening. I hadn't seen it in years. I literally probably have not seen it in 15 years. So I decided to watch it for the first time in that time. I think it's even better that now than then. I get so many more of the jokes. It's aged really well. A lot of fan films don't age well. This one I think is aged really well because it's not about special effects. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about humor and it's just damn funny. Now, this is something I planned on sitting down and watching with the kids tomorrow. Is it kid-friendly? I don't remember. I've, I haven't seen it in years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's ta- sort of allusions to domestic violence because, of course, troops – I'm going to assume most people have seen it. If not, it's essentially a, you know, a ripoff or a send-up of Cops, the show that has been on for 72 years, apparently, on Fox. That show has been on forever. And it's sort of Cops with – <laughs> with with Imperial stormtroopers uh, on going on patrol on Tantooine, and there's a hint that they're breaking up a, a, a domestic violence situation, but there's no violence on well, there is violence on screen, but it's very cartoony, nothing that kids can't handle. Um, so no, I don't think there's anything that the kid that would be, un, you know, that kids couldn't see. Um, they might not get all of the jokes. But yeah, it's it's it ages well, and I don't think your kids will have any problem watching it. Awesome. And there's lots of little inside jokes that I didn't even notice before. There, there's a mystery science theater three thousand joke in the first thirty seconds. Really? Um, there's Fargo jokes. <laughs> um, just stuff that at the time I wasn't really a fan of, or I didn't see, so I didn't get it. But now all these years later, I watch it, and I'm like, oh, that's oh, that's smart. Oh, that's really funny. And of course, if you watch Troops, you will never watch Star Wars A New Hope the same way again because it's, it works wonderfully the way fan films really can work in the sense that they take place off screen, but they help explain things that happened on screen. And if you watch Troops, you'll 
then watch Star Wars and you hope again, and you're going to find out, ah, oh, maybe things didn't happen exactly the way Luke thinks they happened. <laughs> well, I will definitely sit down and watch that tomorrow. I've got a, a small list that I'll be putting uh, in the show notes, but there were a, a couple I really, really wanted to give honorable mentions to, and the first one, I, I, you have to go check this this out. When you sit down, make sure that you've got time to waste because you're not going to be able to walk away from your screen for a while. So basically make sure I've got like a bowl of peanuts, a glass of water, and an adult diaper. Exactly. Okay. This this, uh, YouTube channel run by Bat in the Sun is called uh, Superpower Beatdown, and it does what every geek really wants, and it takes two superheroes, two geek culture icons, and makes them fight. Sometimes I love it and sometimes it irritates me because the way they figure out the winner is you vote on the website. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a popularity contest. Yeah. So sometimes the fights end and I'm like, that is so not the way that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> but they do a really, really good job of making sure that each hero really gets his time on screen and really gets the upper hand at one, at one point. And uh, occasionally they even do alternate endings. Uh, they did Scorpion from Mortal Kombat fights uh, the White Ranger from Power Rangers. Really? Yeah. And it was a really cool thing about that is they got the White Ranger from Power Rangers to do it. <laughs> so, uh, and they uh, filmed alternate endings. So, so this isn't animated. This is this is live action. This is live action. They, they huh. really get people that look like these characters and not all of them can act like the characters there's uh i was there was one uh they did uh gambit versus nightwing and i really wasn't feeling that one but uh other ones that, that have been really really good uh, uh superman versus thor nice uh i think it was uh uh captain america versus master chief i think was their last one. Oh yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna lose so much time watching the yeah, and it's it's so much fun, and uh, uh, they've done Wolverine versus Predator. Oh, the last one was uh, Punisher versus Red Hood. Okay, I will definitely check this out. So it is a huge time waster, but uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned Star Trek Axanar, which uh, I've got the link for. Mm-hmm. You can make sure those are in the show notes. Uh, there was a fan film that we actually showed at Tulsa Trek Expo one year okay. called Star Wars Contract of Evil. Okay. No, I haven't actually. It is. Uh, it's in two parts on YouTube, and it's pretty much a gratuitous lightsaber fight. Oh, I want to watch it. <laughs> I can tell you now. I really want to watch it. Heck, one of the fan films I put up was two kids fighting with a lightsaber for ten minutes. That was the entire plot. <laughs> um, the special effects I thought were really well done. Mm-hmm. The fights were decently choreographed. I think it was about probably twice as long as it really should have been. Mm. There was a lot of stopping fighting to talk. Okay. And they're, they're, especially the last half, you're just like, guys, come on. <laughs> Would you kill each other already? But uh, it, it's definitely worth a watch. And some of the dialogue, you're like, mm, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is definitely a fan film right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's definitely worth the watch. It is, it is a lot of fun. But I do have a list of, of other fan films that I'll be putting up there. And I will include the fanfilms.net. Mm-hmm. There was over, I think, 200 Batman fan films listed on that site. Everybody loves Batman. Oh, 
everybody loves Batman. Uh, I'll also be adding uh, a couple links as well. One is to a Star Trek fan film that I've already mentioned, Star Trek Phase 2. This is sort of the, the um, oh God, how would you describe it? The Brad Pitt of Star Trek fan films, the George Clooney of, you know, the, the, the Iron Man of Star Trek fan films, sort of the one that is at the forefront. There's a lot of Star Trek fan film series being made, but this is pretty much the one at the top of the list. Um, and it's pretty good. The quality, they, they've actually gotten actors from the original series like George Takei, Walter Koenig, Grace Lee Whitney um, to appear on the show. They have some of writers who've worked on Star Trek and, Star, and the Star Trek series have actually written some of the scripts. It's pretty professional. In fact, it's um, the Star Trek Axanar is a spin, not a spinoff. It's from the same group of people who do Star Trek Phase 2. Um, so Axanar has a much higher level of quality than Phase 2 has, but Phase 2 definitely is a very high-quality show. Its episodes run about 45 to 55 minutes long. The last several of them are shot in high definition. The sets, especially for the last several episodes, are amazing. They actually, several years ago, um, Paramount auctioned off a tremendous amount of their Star Trek items that they'd just been keeping in storage, and this company went and bought a lot of those items, and they've just integrated them into the set. So they have actual set pieces that were on the original Star Trek series that are now on their set that they've built. The acting is sort of the weak link. I mean, they, they bring in people like George Takei and Walter Koenig and people like that. But the fan, the main characters are played by fans, and it's sort of the weakest of links. They're, they're, they're trying, but they're such iconic roles, you know, seeing somebody other than William Shatner trying to play Captain Kirk, you know, it's kind of hard to do that. I almost wish that it was about a different ship rather than the Enterprise, to be honest with you, because they come up with good stories and good production values, but it's hard to see other people playing those roles, especially Kirk. So that's uh, Star Trek Phase 2. We'll put the links on there, on the link in the show notes. One of my favorite web series that is technically not a fan film, fan series, but is about fans, uh, is called uh, Issues. And I push it really hard on, on Twitter. Uh, it is a lot, a lot of fun. And they've got the first season done and finished and put up on their, their website now. And uh, it's, it's about this guy who owns a comic book shop who has some social anxiety issues. <laughs> like most uh, of us. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I relate to this show so much in so many different ways, and uh, so so it's a lot of fun. I will definitely put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, it is definitely worth a watch. It's got some great, great humor, just really make you laugh out loud kind of stuff. And it's definitely, I think, fits in with this. It's not necessarily a fan fan show or a fan film in the sense that it's about something that's you know out there like Star Wars, Star Trek, Batman, but. It's a fan show in the sense that it's about us fans. It's fans talking about fans. Uh, and if you're a geek, if you're into comic book culture, if you're into science fiction, if you've ever wanted to work in a comic book shop, which is a sick dream to have because it's not <laughs> its not really the best job on the face of the earth, but all of us wish we could do that, just get paid to read comic books all day long, uh, which, of course, is what it really, really is like at a comic book shop. You just sit around reading comics. Oh, yeah. There's no real work. There's no real work or anything like that. 
but um, it's a great show. Uh, it's on YouTube. Um, it's very, very, very funny. And I'm going to agree with you in the sense that there's been times I've, I've – or I should say there's been times I've watched an episode and then when it was done sort of X'd out of YouTube and thought, holy crap, that's Lashmuth. Yeah. <laughs> it's frightening sort of the similarities between things he said and things you've said. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I've I've kind of gotten over a lot of my social, a lot of not all, but a lot of my social anxiety issues, and and uh, I had a, a lot as a teenager. But uh, there's definitely definitely episodes where he's very much the voice inside my head. I just say it's not necessarily the social anxiety thing; it's just sort of his point of view, the way that he thinks about things and describes things. I'm sat there, I said, I've had that conversation with he, with you, right. <laughs> So definitely check that out, Issues. Check out all these uh, fan films and fan series. We'll put links on the uh, the show notes, which you can find at our blog. For those of you who are just downloading it through iTunes, you can look up all these shows by just typing in the names into Google, and you'll find them. Fan films are a great thing. It's, it's, it's us taking control of the things we love. I mean, we love the fancy special effects. We love the big budget. But a lot of times, the people who are making the films, the real films, quote-unquote real films, about characters we love, tend to not really care about them. I'm looking at you, Zack Snyder. So it's great when we get the opportunity, when we, the fans, get the opportunity to tell the stories that we want to tell. They may not look as shiny and bright as the ones that Hollywood make. The acting might not... It might some of those some of those line deliveries might not ring quite perfectly when in in our ears. Some of the writing might be a little a little wobbly, a little bit eighth grade. But at the end of the day, you can just feel the passion and the joy and the the love that these fans have for the material. You know, we're always out there telling you to go to Kickstarter or to buy a comic book to support you know the geek culture. Um, this is a really easy way you can support geek culture. Just click on a link. Sit back, have fun watching a movie. So I think that's it for this week. The kick-ass music at the beginning and end of the podcast is Big Damn Heroes, and you can find out more about them at facebook.com slash bigdamnheroesband. And you can always hit us up at facebook.com slash geekinpodcast, and feel free to follow us at twitter.com slash geekinpodcast. And, of course, the address for the blog is geekinpodcast.blogspot.com. We'll be seeing you soon.